Well, hello, everybody. I'm Hannah, your host of the Bird Nerd Book Club, and Eric will be joining me for this episode as well. And our featured guest is Cameron Cox, author of Turns of North America, a photographic guide published by Princeton University Press in October 2023. Well, Cameron, welcome to the show. And first off, can you tell us about yourself? Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate your, your willingness to have me on the podcast. Looking forward to it. Uh, my name is Cameron. I, a uh, longtime birder, um, someone who loves uh, all birds, but particularly water birds. I've uh, been the most of the focus of my birding for the last 20 years or so has been on kind of uh, delving into the challenges that water birds pre uh, present and uh, love turns. They're incredible. Um, so I was uh, happy to get the opportunity to do a guide that really uh, touched on some of the nuances of turns. And this isn't your first book, right? No, I also did uh, the Peterson's Reference Guide to Sea Watching with my co-author, Ken Behrens. Um, we did that. Uh, that came out a little over 10 years ago. Um, and that was a really different book than what, what I've done with Turns and the fact that it's dealing with a whole multitude of different water birds and only in flight. Um, and we were, were basically trying to do with that guide what Hawks in Flight did for uh for raptors in flight how to identify them in flight at a distance we were trying to do that for water birds so everything from terns and gulls to seabirds and waterfowl yeah and those can be definitely challenging groups for for birders i know in the northwest here where we're at we we've, we've taken a uh what was it ducks um with low light yeah, ducks in black and white or something. Yeah, because yeah. you, you, you never get good light um, on seabirds. You never get good light on ducks. You never get in, good light on any of these things. So trying to figure out additional things, these these guides like this help you figure out these additional things that uh, you don't think that you need to know until you get outside and you're like, oh, actually, I can't see any of those field marks <laughs> that I want to actually see. I've got to look at this behavior, look at this this uh contrast between the front and back and all that yeah absolutely it's it's real world um i when i say about your your typical field guide the kind of standard and they're fantastic but i, I view them as a tip of the iceberg like your your standard uh, all the from peterson guide sibley guide they're all really excellent books but they're so space limited that they just kind of convey things that are most easily conveyed in this very limited format. And there's so much more to learn about bird identification. Um, and that's the stuff that I really enjoy is like, how, how do I teach myself what's not explicitly already out there uh, in birding literature or kind of in the, the birding zeitgeist? How can I get out there and look at birds long enough that I start to pick up things that are different um, than what's already available for people to, to, uh, know. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting take on it. You know, I never really thought of that as like, you look at the field guide and then you delve into one of these more specific guides as a, a way to really get to know the, the bird species. So, um, this is a photographic guide and for maybe those folks who aren't familiar with photographic guides, can you give us a brief idea of what that means? Uh, that means uh, over uh, 19 species of birds covered in over 300 photographs. So uh, no illustrations whatsoever. Um, 
illustrations are great, but we're kind of seeing the tide has changed. It's kind of been the the thought process has been that illustrations are better, and for a lot of things they are better. But digital photography and the improvements that have made in digital photography have kind of changed the equation quite a bit. Um, and it used to be every time you were, if you're taking up a, a uh, taking a photo with a film camera, you were costing, it was costing you uh, somewhere between 75 cents a buck each time in late and early nineties dollars. Uh, and so that was, that was really cost prohibitive for this guide. I myself, um, I probably took uh, 50,000 images um, and, and then sorted through another 50,000 on the internet to find the, the, the 300 that went into this book. And that just wasn't a viable option. And that, that creates, it, it, it kind of creates a situation where photos are advantageous as opposed to, to, um, to illustrations. The advantage of an illustration is you can illustrate it exactly the way you want to show it. Um, but the advantage of photos is you can show you can actually show lighting. This is what it looks in different light conditions. And and sometimes, even if you know the species really well, when you're illustrating it, there are weird plumages that you just never think about. And if you happen to grab one of these in an uh, image, um, you it, then you, you're going through your photos. You're like, oh, yeah, there's this weird plumage that I'd forgotten about. I definitely need to put this in the book. And so having that... Um, having this massive library of photos to pull 300 photos for 19 species, it, it, it gives you a, it just gives you a lot of options. Yeah. I've always thought the, um, the illustrations provide it like when, with the illustrated guides provide a really great resource for the illustrator being able to give you the focus of what they believe is the most identifiable field mark. They can put in a little bit of emphasis on the crown, a little bit of emphasis on, coverts or, or whatever specific part of the bird um, that they believe is a really diagnostic portion of the bird. But then the photographic guide, on the other hand, gives you what you're going to see in the field, most likely, even if it's poor light or mediocre light or whatever. And then you kind of have to use the text and use what you're seeing in there to inform how you're going to identify that bird on your own once you actually see it, as opposed to doing that little bit of a translation from an illustration to real world versus this, which is seeing, seeing what it's going to look like and then going out in the world and seeing it out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, that is a great, like with, with a, a illustrated guide, you can basically have a format and you can follow that for every single species. And even with the, the photo, all the photos I had, it's hard to get every single bird in the exact same light in this ex exact same angle. Um, and so you, you don't, you have a little bit, you're sort of at the mercy, some images, some species, you'll have tons of photos you could do whatever with, but there's a comparison species that you don't have as much information for. And so you just, you, you kind of, you have less absolute control but at the same time, I mean, they've done studies, there's, there's studies on what's called mixed learning and people like information, um, people like information to be put in very organized, in a very organized fashion and presented in a very organized fashion when they're learning. They enjoy that more, but you actually don't remember stuff quite as well that way. 
So if you you do, they've done um, studies on recall. And if you present the same information, you present it in a disorganized manner, you present it in an organized manner, three months later, the people that study the stuff in the disorganized manner remember it a lot better. And so there's actually something to be said for um, one of the things I did with this guide is I didn't actually uh, follow a, a, a pattern for what plumages I showed first. There, there's a very, very, very loose pattern for the way that the photos were chosen for the book. Um, but in general, it's kind of just a hodgepodge. And I just threw in the images I felt were most uh, most interesting. And also, one of the things I really like about the pho uh, photographic guide, and it kind of uh, the Shorebird Guide um, by uh, Michael O'Brien, Richard Crossley, and uh, Kevin Carlson, showed this to when Ken and I were working on our sea watching guide. What we really loved about that photographic guide was it was a not just a, a great identification guide, but it was also a uh, a celebration of birds. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do with this turn guide as well. Choose images that are useful for identification, but are also beautiful and show these incredible birds in a really incredible way. Uh, and that's one of the advantages of, of doing photos is you can say, OK, I can show this bird in a perfect profile in very flat light um or i can use this wacky light with a beautiful sunset behind it and and really kind of celebrate this this species in a way that's that's uh, a little bit more difficult you know and i do really like um the way that you have it laid out like you mentioned it's kind of a hodgepodge of things but that's also what makes it super attractive it's not just consistency throughout the whole thing and like oh you expect the the picture on the same section of the page in every single um section so i do really appreciate that and i'm i wouldn't have thought to um to put it that way and yeah I, it's a beautiful book. Just just to throw that out there. But looking at a guide like this, like how would you suggest someone uses this? A lot of this, it, it comes down to you and where you are. I think there's a lot of, and, and this is true of a lot, a lot of, so if you're a bird, I would say this is probably true for most people who are doing a bird book. You put a ton of effort into the introduction that nobody ever looks at. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say that there's some there's some basic information. And actually, I put some of the most uh, attractive photos in the guide in the introduction. Um, so I would kind of start there, um, especially if you're a beginner to intermediate birder. And then the, uh I've set the book up, like I said, I've, I've tried to choose photos that are exciting and beautiful and really celebrate these birds, That, but also highlight the identification traits that you want to look for in the field. Um, so I, I hope that I've set the book up in a way that makes it fun just to flip through and you're picking stuff up as you're enjoying looking at the photographs. Um, so there's kind of a, uh, there, there's readability uh, to it. But also, there is the if you have just seen uh, either an arctic turn or a common turn on uh, the beaches of Cannon Beach, and you want to go back and look it up. Um, there's 25 plus uh, just in the common turn section. There's 25 plus images of common turns, and throughout the book, there's over 50 images of common turns. 
kind of sprinkled in the backgrounds of uh, of other images. So there's a good chance that you're going to be able to go back to this guide after having just seen uh, an interesting stern a turn and kind of figure it out. Um, and so you could use it both ways. But what I hope people do it uh, do with it is just enjoy it. So you have um, a bunch of turns in this book. Do you have a favorite turn? Uh, I I have multiple. Uh, I love roseate turn. Roseate turn is just such a fun species. It's a species that we don't get to see here in Oregon. Um, but it is just such a fun species. Uh, and then there's my my most wanted um i didn't i was trying desperately to see it while i was working on the guide and i never did get to um white wing turn is my probably my most wanted species of bird in the world that i haven't seen and i'm pretty sure that that will vault to first place once i get to see a breeding plumage white wing turn it's just an incredible uh species and i've looked at tens of thousands of photographs probably nearly every white wing turn photograph that's on the internet uh, I still haven't seen one in real life, and so I'm I'm desperate to see that species because it just looks absolutely gorgeous, and it's real closely related to black tern, which I absolutely love, and is absolutely gorgeous. Well, you'll have to celebrate the publication of this by going and finding your white wing tern. Yeah, definitely on the agenda for sure. Uh, I I don't usually chase birds, especially like get on a plane and chase birds. I've, I've virtually never done that um but white wing turn uh with the approval of my wife is is all it is she knows she almost let me go to there was two hanging out in puerto rico last winter um uh, i almost actually was like finger finger hovering over the buy button on a flight to puerto rico and i just couldn't quite justify it but Hey, there's a whole uh, bunch of en other endemics in Puerto Rico. You can you could justify going to see all the other endemics. And oh yeah, by the way, there's also white wing terns. <laughs> <laughs> no, she would. My wife would be fooled by that. She knows that. She knows uh, water birds are my thing. <laughs> um. So while while you're researching this, um, you you kept mentioning black tern and white wing tern and all these. Did you find anything? Really fascinating while looking at uh, photos of of terns that you didn't know or hadn't previously thought about um while while looking at the over a hundred thousand photos or so that you that you looked at trying to pick out your bet the best 300 for for this guide I, eric I, I don't know that i necessarily did i i the, the thing about turns the thing that's kind of interesting about turns is is they have this um reputation as being difficult and they can be um i added additional field marks um and and turns are one of those groups of birds where people will often try to use one or two field marks they'll try to okay uh, um white uh, white-throated sparrow they have yellow in the lures and, and a white throat and that's their their way of remembering white-throated sparrows turns don't really work that way because you have different plumages and there's a lot of variation and so I learned a lot about the variation. There's a lot more variation than I expected. Some field marks that I really liked uh, before I started this project, I have more, uh, uh, I'm a little bit warier about. I like to use 
back them up with additional field marks. So I learned some additional supporting field marks. I learned a lot about the the molt um, and uh, molts of these birds and also some like the juvenile turns. These juvenile turns are interesting because they're they're born and they're super duper colorful um, when they're first come out of the nest and they fade super quickly. And, and so from, from uh, being two weeks old to being four weeks old to being six weeks old, these juvenile turns change significantly. Um, and I learned a lot about that and how that affects how we identify turn, young turns in the fall, what traits work, what traits don't work as well. Um, there's always a massive learning project when you when you undergo uh, a project like this, but there were not a lot of absolute eureka moments. There were just incremental learning. You're just you're just learning little tidbits and things. You're you're filling in. At the, you've got the edges of the puzzle are all already in place, and then you're just finding little pieces that you're struggling that you've been struggling with. Um, you're just filling some of the interior pieces in to create the full picture. Okay. So you mentioned um, about identifying and, you know, that it's not so easy, like a white throat sparrow or something like that, that's more clearly identifiable. But what are your, um, what are some of the key things that a beginner or an intermediate turn watcher that wants to get better at it? What, what would you suggest that they look for? I would suggest not being intimidated. And I would suggest going out and focusing um, too often. We focus on what's unusual and I would, uh, I would suggest focusing on what's common. What turns do you have in your area? Go to the eBird bar chart and look uh, for your favorite birding area or your County or your state. Um, what by month are the most common turns in the month of April? How does that change in May? Uh, how does that change in June? And then go out uh, with the idea of spending some time looking at these birds and then looking at these birds in comparison to the other birds you're likely to find them with. So um, in I spent a lot of time in Florida when I was working on this bird, looking at royal and sandwich turns at the same time. So you get a good feel for their size. And then maybe also adding laughing gall, which is a bird that you see with them all the time. Um, as a comparison species, or even something like a sanderling. How big is a royal turn in comparison uh, to a sanderling? And really just drilling yourself on the basics. Um, and so when you get something like uh, a, a out-of-range roseate turn on the beach, and it looks like a sandwich turn, um, except it's smaller, uh, that you know you don't have to know what that weird turn is right off the bat but knowing your local species will tell you that when you come across a different species that you are dealing with a different species um and so yeah just learn what to expect and then draw yourself on those expected species just get used to just being out in the field and looking at these birds they're fun uh they have lots of interesting behaviors they're fun to watch uh, and so just kind of immerse yourself in, in the common and everything else kind of comes from there. Yeah. Tur turns are definitely a fun, they're, they're one of like turns and swallows. I feel like are like two families of birds that are constantly having fun 
when they're when yeah, they're but, out there. They're, they're they're it looks like they're playing around either in the wind currents or in the edges of the water and all that stuff. So definitely fun to watch just the 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 relatively common groupings of these birds and watching them interact together. Lots of fun. Two species, two groups of birds that are a hundred percent dependent on flight to be able to feed themselves. So that's that's the commonality there is is these birds they they can't run around on the beach and pick stuff up off the beach like a like a gull would or bop around through the woods like a sparrow would they have to fly they have to, and because they have to fly they have these incredible powers of flight that just i think we as humans envy this this incredible mobility this incredible power of flight and terns and swallows are some of the one uh, some of the groups of birds that that most clearly show that. Mm -hmm. So you you've mentioned a couple a couple other guides the shorebird guide the hawks in flight. Um, there's also the the Empinimax guide that just came out um, the warbler guide. There's there's all these different guides that within the last uh, decade or so have been coming out that are family family specific guides that really do an in depth study of individual species within a family do you and and this this is another one to to go with that the turns of north america so do you see this as the natural progression of field guides getting away from looking at all birds in north america all birds in the u.s all birds in oregon or, or whatever and doing a more in-depth focus on every single family across the 200 and whatever number of families i'm that's probably way into count. Whatever number of families there are in the world, yeah. doing an in-depth uh, on that. Yes, um, the, the two, from a uh, from a sales perspective, there is never um, the interest in one of these uh, family-specific guides that there is in a general field guide. Like Sibley's guide was on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, the Shorebird Guide, which I think is just an awesome book, uh, sold only about 30,000 copies. Um, and so there is never the the volume for one of these family-specific guides. But as we the birding market increases, more and more people are realizing there's more information out there than, than what a field guide can produce. So there is there is a desire for more information um and you can have like i the national geographic field guide to birds has forester's turn common turn and uh and arctic turn all on the same on a single plate um i have like 15 pages of just for common turn uh and, and so if you want extra information um the fact that there is a there is a book there are there there is enough there is now enough birders out there looking for this information, and for turns, I I want this to be the guide that people go to to get that information. Um, it's never going to be uh, a humongous seller. It's never going to be on everybody's bookshelf. But I I hope the people that want the information um, now can get it. Well, and terns are such a, like we mentioned, terns are such a fun family of birds to look at. I'm sure that uh, 
yeah, there's definitely lots of people who are excited about this. And speaking about, you know, love for turns, um, in your intro, you mentioned the historical and present conservation concerns regarding turns. So what is the status of these species? A lot of them are like, like a lot of water birds, a lot of them, um, uh, are in a lot of trouble right now, a very, a new, uh, since the book was published a new and really scary aspect of, uh, uh, of conservation is bird flu. Um, 70% of, of the Washington state's population of Caspian terns died of bird flu this past year, just one year, boom, 70% of the state nesting population gone. Um, and so that is a very sudden, uh, and very troubling change uh, for um, bird flus, particularly worrying for these colonial water birds. One of the birds I absolutely love is elegant tern, something like 90%, it varies from year to year, but just roughly 90% of uh, all the elegant terns nest on a single island in the, the Gulf of California and Baja California. And that creates an unbelievable risk to something uh, like like a bird flu coming and just could easily just about wipe that species out at one go. Um, so that's incredibly worrying for any of these colonial nesting water birds because they, they nest in such close proximity to each other. But uh, 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 the longer term, more insidious uh, issue is people like beaches um, and turns like beaches. Uh, and, and there's just there's just a lot of conflict um, as, as humans not only invade beaches and the the things they do to solidify the beaches so they can have homes on the right right on the beaches changes the coastlines it changes the offshore islands that these birds use for uh, to nest things like black tern black terns. Uh, this is a marsh tern. They don't nest on the coast. They nest in uh, interior fresh water, but we like recreating on fresh water too. And black terns lay their eggs on floating mat mats of vegetation. And if you take a motorboat uh, through uh, a marsh and you kick up a wake, that can literally flood these black tern nests and uh, in, in the, uh, the nesting season, uh, for them at one go, one at so there's there's a lot of human risks, um, and that's true of all birds. It, it, it's turns are very very specialized. Uh, I call them sexy gulls with a sushi addiction, um, it, it, but they have they have specialized and things that have specialized in the era of of human driven change. Are the kinds of birds that typically do poorer birds that are more um, plastic in their habits, like a gull, for example, which can uh, benefit from human dumps and and various things that we've done, eat fries and McDonald's. Uh, those birds are doing really well. Um, so specialization for a long time was was an advantage, and now it's a disadvantage. And so we're just going to see how things progress. But these are incredible birds, birds that we don't want to lose. Um, fortunately, they're uh, because they're beautiful and showy and do cool things. Uh, there's generally pretty good, um, uh, pretty good uh, 
momentum behind their conservation. Least tern, for example, is is endangered in, in all three populations that it has, and it but, but it's receiving a lot of conservation focus. Um, so there's there's reasons to be uh, to be skeptical, but there's also reasons to feel hopeful um, about the future of these birds. So you mentioned a number of things, you know, about how sexy they are and <laughs> um, how amazing, you know, all of the things that turns do and diverse. Um, what is like a key thing that you want readers to take away from reading this book? The thing I'd like uh, people to take away from it is a birds are fun. Uh, turns are extra fun and they're not that intimidating you can do this uh there are a couple of species like common and arctic tern that are difficult but most of these species are really really accessible really really you can sort them out pretty quickly um and then once you've sorted them out then you can just get to enjoy them so uh there is this tendency with birding sparrows are difficult uh shorebirds are difficult we lump humongous groups of birds as being difficult or not difficult when in reality, within any group of birds, there's usually a few that are difficult and a few that are not. Turns are one of those uh, those groups. There's only a few difficult ones. Most of them are are easy and they're fun to observe. Uh, so you have if you have turns in your area, just get out there and enjoy them. Well, so do you have anything else on the horizon we can look forward to? Uh, a, a long and boring. Um, exploration of Canada goose uh, and cackling goose subspecies that I've been working on for about four years. Uh, and so hopefully within the next years, uh, next year or so, I'll, I'll find a way to get that published. Um, and then I can stop looking at geese spending 60% uh, of my time in the field looking at geese, which will make my wife really happy. She's, she's done with geese at this point. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for sharing and congratulations on this publication. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for tuning into the Bird Nerd Book Club, and I appreciate you listening. So if you'd like to check me out on the socials, you can follow me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. <laughs>